You're listening to The Podcast. For grain merchandisers, buy grain merchandisers. Join us in our good-humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half-truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is The Elevator's Cut. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other host, Roger Gaddis. And Jason, we're not in the boardroom with Pringles cans around us today. Where are we at? I know, this is the nicest I've ever been dressed for a podcast. So for those listening along, there was a gigantic standing ovation for us. And uh, we had a a good time. No, we're live at the the CEC conference in, uh, in St. Louis. Yeah, and, and you know, these trade shows are, are really fun. Uh, it's almost like Halloween for adults. You show up, you get a bag, you walk around to strangers, you make some small talk, and you get all kinds of trinkets and fun things in your bag to take home. It's, yeah. it's phenomenal. I love it. If you leave this place without something to put, like, a beverage into or to keep a beverage cool, like, I mean, you're doing it wrong at this point. But anyways... Uh, yeah, so we're glad to be here, and we've got a panel today that we're, that we're going to be chatting with of folks uh, in, the, in the business and just talking about the upcoming challenges uh, for, for CEC. But welcome. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. Thanks for, for listening along and being here looking at us. As I'm glad, glad to be in good company with the other people that are wearing a sport coat for the one time a year, you know, that we do this. But anyways, um, yeah, CEC, so... Good luck explaining to, uh, to your farmers that none of those C's stand for collusion uh, back home. And anyways, uh, so we'll get, we'll get going here. We're, we're going to start with uh, Jeff, right? So Jeff, get us started. We're going to go through introductions and uh, what we're talking about here. Right on. So what are we talking about again? Uh, no, the, I'm Jeff Reardon with White Commercial, and uh, I handle all the finance and accounting uh, for our customers, not, not for the company itself, but for our customers. I'll help with that. And uh, really, what it's come down to is a lot of dan- data analytics. So, you know, we've come up with some new ways to do that, and we'll talk about that. But uh, you want to just have everybody introduce themselves, right? I am Michael Cabe. I am manager and merchandiser and HR and wagon dumper and a little bit of everything at Goodwine Co-op in East Central Illinois. And uh, I'm Tom Rickey with Market President for First Interstate Bank based in Des Moines. I am Bryce Selnicki. I'm the VP of Grain and Business Development for Ag Partners Co-op based in Northeast Kansas. I feel like I'm sitting with the dream team of bankers and grain merchants here, you know. I got Jordan Bird and Magic all hanging out. Um, So tell me, merchants, tell me what's been the biggest challenge for you this year. What's going on? What's the biggest challenge you've run into, Bryce, at work? Today, it's, I mean, the last couple of years, it's been cash needs. You know, the demand for cash in the grain business is exceedingly, it's getting more and more expensive all the time. Uh, the last few years, we saw interest rates were, you know, almost zero, really low. And now that's becoming a new thing. Cost of carry is something that, that we're all having to be more cognizant of. Um, and, you know, what, what's the farmer going to do in January? Are they going to take the money and run the bank on us? Are they not? Um, historically, they do, but... We've seen some really, really weird things this last year that I think may change that. 
Yeah, I, I would agree with that. We're seeing uh, levels of, you know, payables in Jan that are, you know, we've never seen before. And so planning for that has been a challenge. Um, you know, with, with the market structure, we're, we're moving stuff as fast as we can and trying to turn that grain into cash. And that's, um, you know, what, what needs to happen in order to, to meet those needs. And um, at the same time, logistics, right? We just got done talking about class one rail. Um, when, when those aren't running, that puts pressure on trucks and, and you know, that, that affects everybody. And so logistics, moving grain around, having the right people in the right places, um, hiring people. Uh, I got mentioned this morning and um, yeah, so just, just your pretty typical uh, last couple of years, right? Yeah, yeah, there's nothing standard, right? Yeah, you know, when you see a market where it costs Tom uh, three to four cents a month to carry beans and maybe seven or eight or, or seven or eight for beans and three to four for corn, what are you seeing? I think the biggest thing we're seeing now is the forecast with our customers. And the biggest um, challenge that we're putting out there is looking at their margins because the biggest thing that's changed, as you know, is the elephant in the room is the interest rates. Interest rates have almost for operating has almost doubled from what it was a year ago. And the trend for short-term interest continues to go up, especially in the next couple of weeks, where the demand for your volume is going to be at, at its peak. So the biggest thing we're seeing is challenges to the, to the budgets and the plans, and you guys can speak to that on your margins, but it's um, higher cost of interest, the increased cost of labor, and attracting quality labor, and then the last one is fuel. So those three things in itself are driving overall operating expenses. Yeah, they are, and I know both of you worked on some plans this year. How, how did that go? Uh, so, you know, White Commercial, um, no surprise, I've worked with them for a number of years. It's probably why I'm up here. Um, they have a program, and I'm not here to just talk White Commercial the whole time, but they have a program, a plan, a merchandising plan that I've used for, I don't know, how long has it been around? 10 or 15 years? Or more. Yeah. And um, that plan has a lot of value to me. I've kind of bought into it. Uh, operationally, merchandising, and financially. Um, it helps us forecast um, what we're expecting to see this year, operationally what we might see at each location and how we're gonna handle that crop, what might be on the ground, uh, what we'll have to pick up and when we'll have to pick it up. Uh, Merchandising-wise, you know, it shows us what spreads we're gonna have. Um, space constraints, it's a big thing, uh, especially if we've got more than one location. And financially is probably the real reason I look at it. It's something that we share with our banker um, share it with the rest of our team, what cash um, needs that we feel like we're going to need throughout the year, what those interest costs will be, because that is a lot bigger number this year, and a lot of folks may not have budgeted, you know, enough for two to maybe three times um, their interest costs of prior years, um, you know, what we'll need in January. So I like to do those budgets and those forecasts, but I like to do them in two different ways. I kind of do a, a base case, what I really expect, and then a worst case if it doesn't rain or something happens, and then a best case. You know, if we have a, a, a bin buster crop, what's that going to do? Where are we going to put all this grain? How are we going to pay for it? When's the cash going to go out the door? Um, so the, you know, the guys handling all the money can, can help me make sure that those checks are all going out, you know, January 3rd, and we don't have any issues. Yeah, I mean, that, that planning piece is, is obviously huge, right? No, no plan is a plan. And um, I, I think that a lot of times when, when we're in environments like this, it can be easy to justify not making a plan because 
tomorrow looks completely different than today and today looks different than yesterday. And so how, how do I plan when things are changing as fast as they are? But, but like Bryce said, just um, looking at all, all scenarios is important. And, um, you know, even if you don't want to do three plans, just do one and make it worst case. And hopefully it winds up better than that. Absolutely. It, it, it matters, right, Tom? You see a lot of that. Yeah, the biggest thing is, like you say, is communication. Communication with your banker, with your lender on those plans, because, right, worst case scenario, then you can talk through them. But the biggest challenge, as everyone knows in the room, is, is the working capital issues, especially as we get into the end of the year, first part of the first quarter of uh, deferred pays into January. So those are the critical times. If you're having those conversations, now's the time to make sure you have the adequate working capital and lending capability to, to meet those needs. Um, so those are the biggest things, that, but I would say definitely plan, communication are the key elements with, the, with success in your operation. It's funny, we had this conversation to get ready for this uh, podcast, and uh, the very next morning, Pete from Waldron Grant, I know he's here, he calls me up and he says, hey, you know, we really need to reach out to people to tell them, you know, January 1 is going to be unlike any other uh, that we've had in the grain business. So I did that, and I mean, I received emails back almost immediately of people that were trying to stay on the banker's good side and to make sure they had everything in place for that necessity. But I think there's more to that is also stress testing your working capital. Like, so we all know how important working capital is, and all you got to do is make more money, right, and then hold on to it, and then you just have more working capital. It's really simple. Um, it's, it just is. Um, a joke, but... Um, stress testing that working capital is something that I think is, is very, very important. I mean, we've, we're seeing really high prices right now. We're off of our harvest time or our summer highs by, I don't know exactly how much, but that they, you know, we've, we've come off some. Um, so I wouldn't, I'm not going to make any, any indications of what I think the price is going to do because it'll be wrong. But, you know, if you don't stress test your working capital and know what your banking covenant or multiple is on working capital, whether it be a 7, 8, 9x multiple, um, and plan for a, maybe a dollar or two dollar rally in beans, you're really not doing anything. Um, and I can't share that with you probably enough. If you were my banker, I'd say, hey, you know, what's my multiple? Um, here's what working capital we have. It, what, what are we going to do when we can't afford a two dollar rally on, on beans or a dollar, dollar and a half rally on corn? Um, obviously, conversely, if we these high prices, maybe we happen to back up a little bit and, and our working capital goes further, but um, we need to look at that both ways. I think that's really important. You know, and that brings me to something that you had said earlier. Tom, what happens if the working capital doesn't support the borrowing base? What happens? A lot of it is just, again, it goes back to communication because uh, nobody likes surprises, uh, and especially the banker doesn't like surprises. So um, I think the key on that is what's the remedy for that? Um, we know there's a, a peak demand and then it trails off based on sales and those type of things. So that, that communication is critical. Um, but there are times where you're going to run into that issue. One of the things we found to be some successful going into this is, is just a proper structure on the balance sheet. And what I mean by that is there's, there's some institutions, co-ops versus privates, that may have a lot of equity in their land, in their real estate facilities that don't have a lot of borrowed debt against that. We set up a reducing revolver against that that builds liquidity for the January time frame. So, that's one option we've considered and had pretty good success with that over the, the few years. If you're highly leveraged and working capital is an issue, then you've got to look at the margins 
and then how you can hold freight, how you can hold grain, what do you got to do to accommodate staying within those parameters. But communication is the key, especially if you think you're going to be out of compliance. That's a fact. Yeah, you got to get to it quick, and uh, you don't want to hear about it when the, the financial statements hit, right? You need to hear about it ahead of time so you can make uh, the appropriate people on your team know what's going on. Um, so, Tom, tell me about the banking covenants, and the, they may be under stress this year as well, right? Uh, one of the things we look at, and I always try to make it simple, but the three main drivers for any financial institution, there's three things that are going to drive your access to capital. Number one is profitability, your, your ability to maintain a profit, profit margin, those, type, those measures are number one. Then off of that is working capital, and working capital as was just mentioned here, changes during the course of the year. So it depends what, if you're measuring it monthly, you know you're going to be stress test against January timeframes. So we look at a working capital minimum of 1.25. It's a simple ratio to look at. But if you've got working capital at peak demand and you're at 125, you're in good shape. And the last one is debt service, the ability to service debt. And that number is the same, the same fraction is 1.25. So if you've got profitability, you've got working capital over 1.25 at peak, and you've got debt service at 1.25, you're going to be in good straight, a good standing with any financial institution. So those are the three simple factors to look at when you look at your balance sheet, especially at peak demand. Yeah, I've done some of the analytics, and I guess I do it a little different than I did when I was a banker, right? Uh, it's real hard to translate financial ratios to a grain merchants and to you know, general managers usually. So what we do is something that's actionable is we talk about profit per bushel of space, right? Gross profit per bushel. And now I'm talking about truck houses and I just picked three million bushels as a, as a metric to use for this. And you know, you're probably looking 60, 65 cents per bushel of space in profit for those organizations. And, um, and, and this is a couple of years ago, or, you know, because everything's delayed uh, when I see the financial statements. But, you know, your expenses were between 50 and 55 cents, right? Uh, but now, Tom, is that enough? That's, a very, that's what we just talked about, uh, that expense ratio. And I, and I challenged our customers to look at their margins. And these guys, can, you can count on your margins. But, you know, when corn's doing it, six, six and a half, seven dollar range, beans in a 14, 15 dollar range. You know, if your interest costs are going up, if your labor cost is going up, if your fuel cost is going up, at some point you've got to look at that basis. You've got to look at your margins to determine are you making enough money? Because you're not going to get it in a lot of cost reduction. We're never, we're, we're never making enough money. <laughs> so, I mean, those are the things that I'm challenging our customers is, is look at your margins. Are you budgeting enough in there to maintain what you're going to need for growth and or existing expenses. Right on. So, Bryce, how are you handling the, I guess it's buy basis, sell basis, and spreads, right? Yeah, it sounds easy. Uh, let's <laughs> just widen our margins. Everybody, everybody in the room, widen your margins, and we'll all go home happy. The problem is not everybody in the green business is in this room, and they won't all agree to that, and I think it's probably your thing about uh, collusion. Yeah, you got to be careful there. <laughs> Everybody's trying to widen margins. We're trying to be more and more efficient. Um, it, I, I don't think it's necessarily uh, narrowing our bases up every time. That's, you can't always do that, right? We have competition. We've got to be competitive. Um, but there are things that we can do 
um, to lower our costs, which also help you know that bottom line. Um, some of those things in the last probably year that I've seen are, are um, some of the ag tech stuff that's coming out. I mean, it seems like everybody's got a new offering and, and they're doing auto hedging and, and you know, we can almost merchandise grain without people um, to a point. We're never going to replace them. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have to find ways, be it widening our basis, um, managing spread risk better, um, managing shrink. That's, you know, $14, $15 beans and $7.5 corn. That's a big thing. Um, something that we haven't ever seen before. You know, those, those kinds of shrink levels. Um, and all of that plays down to our bottom line. So it's not one thing as simple as just, oh, widen your bases a nickel and, and watch it all shake out. We, we just have to be better, smarter, more efficient. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think one thing I, or one lens through which I view it is, you know, nothing is, nothing is normal, right? And I think, Tom, you mentioned if labor costs are higher, if fuel costs are higher, they are. Um, this is a different world we live in than the, you know, maybe the last two decades. And, and the reality of it is, is we have to look at our margins different, right? Our, our, the margins that maybe for 20, 30 years, we knew would keep the lights on, people paid, um, et cetera, they're just not there. I mean, they, they won't work. And so the key is to, again, do, you know, do your plan, know what it's gonna take to, you know, repair, build, hire, all those things, keep your banker happy, um, and, and then set your, you know, set your, the, the factors you can control by basis, right? Um, lock in spreads when they're available. Those, manage the pieces you can manage and don't wait for the market to um, maybe give you something and um, so. Yeah, well, I, I agree with the, the, the three big things. I, I left fuel out of it because on my analysis, that's already in the margin, right? Um, or taken out of the margin, I should say. But labor, you know, for that example of a three million bushel space, a couple of years ago, you were looking at about 24 cents a bushel for each bushel of space you had. You know, that was your labor expense for, you know, the median group that we had. And uh, depreciation's another 12, so now you're up to, you know, 36, and then you got another seven in interest. That was a year and a half ago at this point. So holy cow, you're in the 40s already, and maybe all your expenses are 50, you know, maybe they go to 55. So all those factors are going up, and I know, you know, with the market being structured the way it is, uh, you guys have done pretty well this year. How did you merchandise this year differently uh, because of the way things are set up and what you knew? Um, one of the keys is just paying attention, right? Just watching the spread structure, understanding how, how the markets work, right? Basis typically follows spreads. And if you look at the spread structure, there is relatively little carry. Um, to the deferreds, and so uh, a lot of the sales we're going to see that are profitable um, can be made early. Uh, and you go back to piecing that all together with the need for cash and, um, you know, buy it, sell it, move it. Right on. And it's not all moving at harvest, right? You're, you... Correct. Yeah, no, not, not necessarily all of it's moving at harvest, but, but uh, you know, getting those uh, deferred sales locked in and, and the key is when you do that to set your spreads, lock in all the pieces of it. If you, uh, you know, if you're looking at a deferred sale versus the July and there's no carry, but the number works, lock that spread in because if if that uh, if that you know 
that spread continues to invert, you know, you're, you're losing margin every day and then a sale that maybe worked in December that you made suddenly doesn't by the time you get there. Yeah, we get short and try to stay that way. Um, build a DP program if you can. Um, you know, those things have been really favorable with these inverted markets that we've seen the last few years. You can really do a lot of fun things with free DP or, or, or rolling out a DP program that's, that's at a discount to open storage or something like that, um, which is an easy way to do it, right? But um, what the market tells you what to do, do it. And, you know, looking at corn today, somebody can probably get cute and carry corn into this inversion July SEP and maybe kill it. It's not going to be me. I mean, it's telling us to sell the stuff, and there's no value in carrying it any longer than we have to. So I would sell everything I have and sell some more. But if it's this good now, how good is it going to get later? Yeah, that's like asking the farmer what he wants, and he just tells you as much as I can get. Um, and I think it, the take big a margin driver, and be happy with it. The big driver on that is going to be your cost of carry, the interest cost. It's going to be a big attain that you guys traditionally haven't had to worry about in the last 10 years, but now with interest expense where it's at, that cost of carry is, is a huge number, and I think that's going to change the mindset on how merchandisers move going forward. I got a question. So we talk about, obviously, all these costs are so much higher, and we got to make more margin, and you guys say, you know, you back your bid off, and maybe you got your normal handling margin that you've had for forever, and now we got to make it, you know, a lot of places it's small maybe it's 10 cents maybe it's five cents depending on where you are there's a small handling margin jeff's talking about costs you know a lot more than that so it's easy to just say well i'll just pay less for it but how do you do that how do you make that case successfully and uh don't and still buy bushels is it possible uh you're up you got this <laughs> okay this was this we didn't talk about this all right hey man um, I'm over here in the left field. I got to. Right. You are. Um, so I think what we have done is try to build out different parts of our business within the grain business. Um, you know, sometimes you can control your own freight and save some money there. Um, build a direct ship or a cross-country business. Um, that makes all the sense in the world. Obviously, those margins are low. I've never really had a fixed margin. I never had a I have to make. I'm going to make 25 cents. I made as much money as I could make. Um, maybe that was a nickel, maybe that was 50 cents. Um, I was never, I, I still today, I don't have a fixed, this is what I'm going to go to market with, a quarter margin, and I'm just going to let everything pass me. I mean, we will let those early, um, like high moisture kind of corn things that people run, um, no discounts or half price things, we'll let those pass. Let those guys get their fill, let them get out of the way, get what they want to get, because they're never going to go away, right? Um, and then we play in the, in the realm that we can afford to play in, and that is provide a good quality service to our customer, uh, speed and space, pay them, give market intel. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question or not, but uh, I don't know, we look at all avenues. I think it comes down to knowing which bushels to chase and which pennies to chase. You know, that's it, what it comes down to. No one wants to see the truck go by the elevator. But sometimes, if you, especially this year, there was a lot of times where folks were facing competitors paying stuff or in competing against end users paying things that you would know as soon as you bought that bushel that you could not make any money on it. Well, why are you handling it? Just This year was a really good one. Yeah. There was no way you could trade out of this. If you paid too much early on, there. I mean, granted, I shouldn't say that because basis did just go through the roof, but 
um, without without that happening, there was no way that you could you could. I mean, if you paid too much, there was no saving. There was no carrying the market that you were going to get it back later. Um, now, some of those folks got taken. You know, they've either gotten taken out or they've they've figured it out. But um, it's easy. I was telling my team um, in like the summer, like we're going to let that first you know 10% of harvest go. We're just going to watch it drive on down the road. It's easy to do in July. <laughs> when September or October and the harvest is going and them trucks are driving by and everyone's looking at you like they're all nervous, you know, it's not near as, it's not near as easy to do, but you stay committed and let it happen, and it, it was surprising what worked for us. Yeah, I, I would, uh, you're exactly right. It's easy to, easy to think, and then when you're watching it happen, but the reality of it is I, I think a lot of times we get this idea of there's this market out there and it's one market for everybody and we just got to see how close we can get to it. But the reality of it is, you know, when I'm doing a plan for my banker, that's my plan for my banker and I need my market to work to make that plan work. And so um, it, it's uncomfortable being the low bid in an area, um, but I, which I was this fall for a large chunk of the fall, but um, I was still turning bushels away. We shipped a bunch at harvest and we, you know, put a bunch on the ground and um, so I, you know, I, Bryce is exactly right. If you paid too much for it this year, you're going to have a hard time digging out of it, I, I think. And I got to say, this, this really isn't a gloom and doom discussion for the grain elevator business because what I'm seeing, like, you know, there's some, some canaries in the coal mine, right? And what I see as people are calling me now is it's all about tax mitigation, you know? And people have done really, really, really well trading the inversion, just like you, you two were saying, Bryce and Michael, by selling early, especially this year. Gosh, you saw margins. I mean, I don't know if everybody in the room was actually trading it, but it wasn't unusual to be in a market where you got 60 cents for corn and, you know, they were early, right? And beans, probably the same thing, right, Roger? Maybe more in some markets that you saw. So now I'm talking to grain elevators like, holy cow, we sold it all, but, you know, here it comes, yeah. right? And I, I think back to what you said earlier, it's that idea of if it's this good now, how much can it, or how much better will it be later? And that can paralyze you, but if, if you've worked your plan, you know what you need and it's there, there's no reason to wait. One, one comment I'll make here and compliment Jeff and he's worked on it the last few years, but one thing that this industry needs to really focus on is, and we've done it in other industries in the ag that I'm familiar with, and we've done it on the pork side, we've done it on the dairy side, is benchmarking against the, your peers and against the, the industry itself. And the only way you can do that is you can have enough data to, to segregate yourself so you're comparing apples to apples. So if you're a feed mill, you're comparing to another feed mill. Or if you're 50% feed, 50% grain, you're comparing to that type of business. But that's one of the tools we recommend that our customers look at is that benchmarking tool. And I know, um, you know, you guys have worked hard to establish those goals, but that, that is something that's out there that's available. If you've not done it with your organization, is to look at that tool to see how you do compare to your peers or your competition. Um, it's, it's a private information that's not shared. It's, it's gathered, but it's, it, it does create an incentive for you to look at how am I comparing to my competition down the road or the, to the privates or to the co-ops. So that's a tool that you know, Jeff, you might want to speak oh, to. I, I definitely agree. Obviously, you're preaching to the choir. Uh, I'm a numbers geek. That's no doubt about it. I admit to it. Uh, and uh, I love the peer analysis. It's probably my the favorite part of my job. 
But as I go through that, you realize like there's companies and in the room today we've worked with for the last 10 years. So we're able to go back and look and see how they've improved different processes. You know, I can see when a new bin was built because the depreciation per bushel of space goes up and maybe the labor goes down, right? And it's, it's kind of neat to see how people have improved over the years. And you mentioned technology, Bryce, and it's really come a long way. Yeah, it's, it, it, it is. I mean, it's the way that ag, or I call it grain tech, is, has changed in the last couple of months, honestly. I mean, it's, it's been coming for a couple of years. But what has happened in the last few months is just unbelievable. And you can walk out there to the trade floor and see it. Um, there's four or five different companies that are really leading the charge in this. And then they don't all have everything that the other one has, but um, that's, that's going to change our business significantly. Absolutely. I think we're all seeing that, right, Roger? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you're going to have to make the, the adaptation to it. You know, and you hear that anytime a new technology comes out. Uh, but, you know, if we're, if we're looking at these higher, higher costs going forward, you know, especially the labor thing and all this stuff, you know, there's only so much you can raise your storage rates. There's only so much you can raise your DP charge, your dump fees, whatever it is. Um, you're going to have to find, if you're looking on the cost side somewhere, you're going to have to find it somewhere. And that's, that's a big tool right now that's going to enable a lot of folks to make that change. Uh, and it's going to be a standard, you know, 10 years, five years down the road, this will be a standard thing everyone uses, uh, I, I think. Well, I can attest that the fact that grain industry does change, though, because this is a long time ago for many of you, but 2014 and 2015, tough years for some people. You know why? Because we didn't charge enough for our space, right? We were all, we, there were many people were still using storage, and we're seeing that kind of wane away. Uh, price later was happening. But the fees weren't enough, and farmers weren't selling. So we all missed the basis pop, right? And I saw, you could see that. If you read through the financials of some of the publicly traded companies, they talk about that first quarter and how they needed to change. Well, we did as an industry. If you look at what you were charging in 2014, you know, and I say for your space because harvest space is worth a lot, uh, it's a lot more now than it was then. And it's something that we're all fighting with now. No, and I don't want to say fighting. I think we've embraced it, really is the farmers putting up a lot of space, right? So it's something that's happened in our industry. We're seeing it. It's definitely an opportunity, but how are we handling that? What, what's, what's happening in your markets, guys? The I'd, rather build them than, I'd rather them build it than we do. Um, if we can still trade it, it's an opportunity for us. I don't, I mean, yeah, of course it's a competitive market, but um, it's expensive to build space. We all know that. I don't know what a bushel of steel costs today, but um, if the, I mean, you're not gonna stop that. So you got to figure out a way to do it. Now we talked about direct ship and cross country a little bit earlier. Um, that that helps us manage that business um, and and you know uh, work it different ways. And and um, I, I don't have a problem with. It. I mean, it, like I said, you're not going to stop it, so you might as well get on board with it and figure out how to make some money around it. I think there's a fine line, and if you're not seeing any farmer space go up in your area, that's probably because you're giving something away, right? If, uh, if a farmer's not building bins, it's because we're building it for them and then uh, we're too cheap on our, on our rates, what we're charging, um, and, and it's obviously an advantage for them to, to bring it to us. So um, yeah, that, depending on your market, that, that breaking point is, is pretty thin. Yeah, you know what, I, I also wanted to take an opportunity, Tom, to talk about 
risk management policies. Everybody tends to roll their eyes, you know, when you, you bring this up, but I know you're a big believer in that, and so are we. Yeah, that's one of the requirements that we have with our customers is an established risk management policy, which lays out, and it's pretty detailed, and if you don't have one, there's templates out there that you can use, but the risk management policy is something that should be reviewed annually. I know I, I, I talk to our customers about that, you know, it, it's like you say, they roll their eyes, well, nothing's changed. Well, that's a good thing, but the risk management policy, what it does spell out is what your parameters are for trading, who's doing the trading, and then from a transition standpoint, who's the backstop? If, if our grain merchandiser gets hit by a bus tomorrow, what, what is the plan? Uh, those type of things. But I, I do think the risk management policy should be reviewed annually and adapted. One of the things that you can include in there is the policy on accounts payable and accounts receivable. How do you handle those situations relative to your business, but the risk management policy is, is a key to, in our business. We look at it, but I definitely think it's uh, something that should be brought to the forefront, at least annually, by the company and the senior management. Yeah, I've, I've had the opportunity to be on a couple of those calls with you, and it's so enlightening to the team members, all of us, right? Everybody that's working with the, the Grain Elevator and their team, you know, hey, okay, this is, I don't want any more short futures than X, right? This is, this is how many pre-speds I'm comfortable se uh, setting before I talk to the next level of management. I think it's very, very important, those items. And you gotta look at stuff too, like how you deal with, with uh, we're, hey, we're at NGFA. How do you deal with uh, defaulted contracts? How do you deal with overfills, underfills? When do you deal with them? We know what the rules are, but do we do a real good job of always following up on it? Or is it a deal where six months down the road, oh, this thing's still out here and the market's moved dollars per bushel, uh, you know, that stuff happens. If you don't have a good policy of, you know, where does the buck stop with these things? Who's, who's watching this? Who's keeping control? And this is the mundane day-to-day -day stuff that, you know, is easy to go to the wayside, but golly, especially in markets like the last year, hugely, hugely important, not just for your financials at the elevator, but for customer relationships with your producers. Huge, getting contracts signed, you know, that's a, that's a pretty big one, too. And Jason, you were talking about maybe taking some questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so one, I have one more, and then we can. So um, policies, risk management policy, but also I wanted to talk about, it. so in the scope of what we're talking about, we're borrowing more money than we've ever borrowed. The dollar amounts are big. We, uh, interest rates are, are up and, and uh, strong. So how are, uh, every other, every cost going up, so how do you address it? Uh, on the, your grain buying policies. I know over the last couple of years, we've seen stuff been ticking up. What have, it's Bryce and Mike, Michael, what have you guys done? How much, how aggressive are you in that? And do you continue to do it this year? Because obviously, you know, these are, these are big dollar amounts. I know the, the bankers, all this stuff, I mean, the bankers in the room, they're the ones putting this money out there. The biggest dollar amounts I've ever seen. They got to, you know, like, like you're talking about, our margin better be there. We we got to we got to pay this stuff back, you know, with with high interest rates. So, what are you guys doing in terms of policies? What have you done over the last year or so? And looking into this year, how are you? What are you doing there? We, I mean, <clears throat> I don't really want to instill position limits upon myself, but that's kind of what we have to do, right? Um, and maybe that's something that. I'd hope you guys, bankers, wouldn't force those upon us and tell us what our positions can and cannot be because we're the grain traders here. Let us trade and stuff. 
Um, just fill out the barroom base, you're fine. <laughs> that, we, I gotta <laughs> talk about that barroom base, by the way. I wanna talk about what happened in March. Um, so, you know, we're, we're um, you have internal position limits that keep yourself um, with, with, you know, within a, a, um, an amount of risk that you're, that you're comfortable with. Um, you're never gonna, I don't know that you're gonna totally limit. You gotta know your customer, know who you're dealing with. There's all, the, everybody's got the, the one out there that they wish they probably didn't have. Um, and sometimes you have to fire those customers. Um, I had one that, um, I'm not gonna name any names, but had a bunch of new crop corn sold to us at like four bucks, you know, and the market rallied. Um, and the guy was broke. We're the last ones to get paid. Um, you know, and there's several dollars that he's upside down on, and I thought, man, how do I hedge against that risk? Like, you can't ask them for a bond or an irrevocable letter of credit or prepayment or something like that, because they're not gonna do it. Um, so that's a good, good question. I think it comes down to, you gotta know your customer. Um, you've got to do the policies. You gotta follow NGFA trade rules, get contracts signed, um, and, and, you know, keep a list, keep a watch on, um, overfills, underfills, and, and, um, and your contracts probably weekly, you know? Yeah, I would agree with that. And, um, I, I think one of the big keys is communication, whether it's with your customers, with your bankers, anyone, um, communication is the key and communication is really hard, right? Um, two people can have a face-to-face -face conversation and say, you know, talk back and forth and walk away and, one, they heard different things, and communication is really hard, but it's really important. All right, so thanks for humoring me there. But So I wanted to open up. We've got a few minutes left. If there's anybody that has a question that wasn't addressed or you'd like addressed uh, more, feel free to shout it out, Will. You have a question? Yeah, and while she's coming up, I want to say that I've been on the, we were talking about risk management just for a second. And I've been on the calls with you and with a lot of other lenders, and the lenders, and certainly me as a broker, we never tell you what to do, right? It's always the team that has to get together, and they ask us, well, what should this be? And we say, no, you tell us, and that way we know how to manage around this, right? So it's definitely not a, a stick-type discussion. It's more of a carrot, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. And Sorry, we had one question come in here. He said, uh, the value of corn has recently been divorced from the crude oil market. Do you see that continuing uh, in the longer term? I'm not qualified to answer that question. Roger probably is, but I'm not. Not, not this, Roger. Do you guys have thoughts on that? I have no idea. I mean, I know crude's down, but I, its relationship to corn, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Yeah, and, and you know, I think this is just attesting to, you know, a, a philosophy of, of how looking at, you know, futures as a tool and not a thing in and of themselves on, you know, how it affects merchandising. You know, it's, it's um, and we mentioned this before, is it, there's so, the information is so readily available out there that now you're not uh, gaining any premium by being a center of gathering, you're being, you have a premium being as a center of filtering information both for your organization and your customers and so I think that's the, the the onus for merchandisers going forward is and originators is being able to know what's what's important and what's not and what's going to actually affect that producer that bushel that's coming to you uh, which is going to be you know the price he sells at and then it's for you 
as a merchandiser what basis you're buying, what basis you're selling, and your spreads. All the other things that swirl around in the market contribute to that, but they don't, they aren't that, if that makes sense. You, you just got to keep your eye on what really matters and focus on that. Okay, got one more here. What steps have you guys taken to minimize the risk of slippage? That's a good one. Think about it. Uh, strong risk management plan, um, making sure the team knows we've got to get hedges in immediately. Um, that comes to the ag tech part of this whole thing and auto hedges. Um, you know, we haven't seen a lot of like really, really, really wild markets over the last few months. We've seen the ups and downs, I get that, but nothing like grains dropping, you know, a buck a day and, and opening a position or expanding limits and things like that. We're probably set for that sometime because um, things do repeat themselves. Um, there's not a good, I don't think there's a perfect example to that. Um, well, a lot of hedges you. work, but they also don't take protection for let you. Let me ask you this, outside of market hours, you know, there's always a risk of slippage there because what's sure. the market going to open at when we're back open? So do you have a, a policy for that? Do you, do you like, I know people are all over the board. I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it, you know, as far as that. What do you Tech, do? Technology, right? Voice over IP phones and you just shut them off when the market closes and takes care of it. <laughs> no, but, but really, again, it, it just comes down to um, setting policy and, and um, knowing, you know, what your limits are. Um, you know, I, I, that's going to be different. That's a little bit of a hard question, you know, to specifically answer because it's different for every company. Um, but, you know, you, th those are things you talk through with your team and, and um, just processes, right? When this happens, we do this. And then it's just a matter of, you know, doing what you said you were going to do. There's always the, you know, the horror stories and stuff, but you guys, uh, maybe there's a report coming out or something happened. We had the wheat thing in March uh, that, thank God nobody had to fill out borrowing bases. That wasn't at the end of the month. Holy smoke. Yeah, what but, would have happened if we would have had to fill a borrowing base out about March 7th, whenever everybody's borrowing bases were totally gut shot and were upside down dollars? In, in our case, you know, the borrowing base typically it's the end of the month, but what we do, you got that 30 day grace period in our, in our, with our institution. So you, you do have about a 60 day window where you can see that correct itself a little bit, but yeah, there is, there is those point in times where it, uh, so we got 60 days before we go to jail. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> we'll get out of jail. Grain jail. It's good to know. <laughs> I, I do have a question for the merchandisers because I come across it more and more, but as your customers get bigger and bigger in size, when do you start locking in those contracts. If a guy says, well, I've got 10 days of bean harvest, and how late do you give that producer before you lock in a contract? Start charging him storage, because as they get bigger and bigger in size, I'm sure they're wanting to delay, delay, delay when they have to lock in that either price later or forward contract or whatever. You're saying before you make them make a decision? Yeah. Um, again, I think that goes back to your, your process, right? Um, I, maybe maybe as a co-op it's a little different, but we we have rules. You know, we're we're there for the customer, and all customers get treated the same. That's how we operate. You know, our our policy. You know, at the end of seven days, that's that's what we do. And um, at, at the end of the day, we are we are uh, trying to buy harvest basis. Um, if it's day eight and basis hasn't improved, and he wants to dump everything. I want to buy harvest basis, so I'm likely going to buy it. 
um, rather than, you know, hey, sorry, you're a day late. But, um, yeah, it, it, you know, when, when basis improves and he hasn't done it, you know, you, you got to know, you got to know, you know, we change our buy basis, right? Hey, I've got this guy that's got a bunch of bushels and he's past his due date, you know, he's got to make a decision, so. So I'd, I'd like to say in, I guess, thanks everybody for your time and, and for you guys on the panel for taking some time with us and answering these questions. Hopefully it was helpful and, and we got some good stuff out, but I know we're the last thing standing between you guys and lunch, so we want to wrap on time. But So Roger, final thoughts, what, what did you take away from this and what we need, merchandisers in the room, what they need to, to be doing for this year? Fees up, basis down. There you go. I think that's that's pretty simple. <laughs> that's pretty I mean, good. Pretty good wrap. Love Drop that. your bed. Love Things that. will good. Be, will be be better for you. <laughs> All right. So thanks to everybody, and uh, thanks for the NGFA for for having us on, and and you guys for taking the time. And yeah, that's thanks it for to us. our panel. As always, thanks for downloading and listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with folks you know in the business. And if you'd like to reach out anytime about anything at all or have any show ideas, you can always find us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. Follow us there, tweet at us, DM us, and we'll always respond. Till next time, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevators Cut. Oh.